Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you've taken bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 85, all about how to discipline your kids mindfully. Hello and welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you are thriving, when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. As always, I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindfulness Mama Mentor. I coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate self-awareness in their daily lives and to take family and life to a new level of awakening. I've been practicing yoga and mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course coming up soon and the mom of two girls ages 7 and 10. Thank you so much for being here today, dear listener. I'm so glad you're here today. I have my dear friend Carla on, as always. Hi, Carla. Hi, Hunter. (laughs) And we are going to be talking today about (laughs) dun-dun-dun. Discipline. 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 Ah. So discipline. Yes, we are diving into discipline today. And uh, I can't wait to talk a little bit about it. This can be kind of a, a touchy subject. So I just invite you as a listener to kind of take what you what resonates with you and take what works for you and then leave the rest and just join in sort of the conversation as Carla and I sit here in our pajamas and talk to each other. <laughs> you weren't supposed to tell them that. <laughs> so, um, so as we'll talk about our, our subject and then we're going to do our parenting wins and fails. And if we have time, we'll see if we can fit that in. And, um, and now on to this episode. <laughs> 
Oh, where to begin? Where, where to, to be- begin? Well, I thought we were talking and I thought we would maybe start like with our own kind of perceptions of discipline before before we had kids. Yeah. Because we develop, we formulate ideas, right? Before we have kids that are, and then we realize after we have kids, how crazy our ideas are about what is what. Like, at least I know for me, I would look around me as a 20 something year old and see like some kids around and I'd be like, I am like, my kids are never going to (laughs) do I would have the head shake. Uh, My kids are never going to do this and never going to do that. And I remember when thinking that like, you know, I'm going to, I remember thinking that, you know, my kids will, I don't know. I just remember I had some kind of ideas about parenting. Like I had more control than I really had, I think as a 20 something year old before I went into having kids. And then as I, when my daughters were little, I was kind of in the school of, um, I don't know. I kind of thought, you know, maybe like timeouts and she had to, you know, I was in this kind of like my child should kind of obey me thing, which is a very common cultural thing, I think, for us. And I remember I went, I took a walk and I met these new people in my neighborhood who were super cool. Shout out to Jill and Chris, who I was talking to them and they were like, yeah, like we, we don't use punishment. And we don't use any time balance. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, like my 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 daughters are babies. I was like, really? I was like, that's crazy. I thought that was nuts. Yeah, and, I would have run in the opposite direction. I would have been like, you're nuts. So at that point in my parenting career. Yeah. yeah. And I was kind of I kind of thought it was crazy, but I was learning, learning things. And now I've come around kind of to the other side. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. But before we dive into maybe what you thought about this, Carla, I just want to mention that, that definition of discipline, which is so even that is a little controversial. It's a little controversial, right? When we think of discipline, we have these ideas in our heads, like from our whole, you know, cultural upbringing, like spare the rod, spoil the child, that kind of thing. But actually a to discipline means to teach. And it's really important. I think as we go into this conversation to remember that, like this is means to teach, not, um, yeah. So anyway, what, what, so you, you were in a similar place. Like you thought, you thought like, uh, you would think those, my neighbors were crazy. Um, honestly, if I'm being really honest, I don't think I was thinking a whole lot, like really consciously thinking in the early days of parenthood, I think something would happen in front of me and I would just react to it. And so I did not have a mental model of, um, like this is with a point of discipline or this is what I want to achieve with discipline. Basically I was like, Ooh, baby doing something good. Get her to do more of that. Ooh, baby doing something bad. Get her to stop. Like, and, and whatever, you know, if I was in a good place, maybe I could be funnier or more creative or more compassionate in my response. Or if I was overtired or super anxious, which was like 90% of the time in those first few years, I would freak out or yell at her just like, I don't know, just, I I did not handle it well because I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know why I was doing it. And I didn't have the internal resources to be more thoughtful. Um, But in general, I have, yes, in those early years, I felt so judged as a parent, which like newsflash people became mostly because I was judging myself, Mm -hmm. um, that I had a knee jerk reaction to anything I perceived to be in the attachment parenting uh, like, you know, this world. Cause I wasn't like, I don't know. 
this is too much. I'll stop talking. The point is, yes, I would have run away from your neighbors. I would have been like, you're crazy. And timeouts are a gift from God. And that's what I would have thought at that point because I didn't have resources. But I am, I am in a different place now. Yeah, yeah. So you, you've you've evolved. You've evolved from that place. And there's, there's, I think like the thinking and the culture kind of is evolving too. But I want to hear about like, what was, what were some of the things that changed your mind? Like as you, or or as you started to learn? Um, I think getting into a better place with my own parenting so that I could reflect on what I was doing without judging myself so harshly. Because what would happen was initially, I knew Mm. I didn't like what was happening in my house. I knew I was yelling too much. I knew that I was having a lot of super tense moments with the girls. And I just knew I didn't like it. Like I I didn't have some big higher level theory about their ongoing brain development or whatever. I just was like, this is so not fun. This sucks. And for sure, parenting is not fun all the time. But I didn't think I think I thought it didn't have to be that bad. So what did I do? I, I first I had to get myself together. And one of my favorite parenting quotes is from Brene Brown, who has a new book out that I can't wait to read. Um, And she says, and you say this all the time, Hunter, you say we cannot give our children what we don't have. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I didn't have any clarity. I didn't have any internal calm. I wasn't compassionate towards myself. I wasn't connected to what matters. And so I had to sort of figure that out before I could give it to my kids. And so for me, that was the journey into mindfulness. That was the journey into figuring out how how to sleep again. That was the journey into managing my own anxiety. And once I got sort of calm and clear and grounded, which I am more often than not these days, but I'm not going to say all the time, mm-hmm. um, then I could start to get some clarity on the role of discipline. And for me, um, I think discipline has two, two jobs, two things I'm trying to accomplish when I discipline my children. One is I want them to behave better in the moment. Like I want them to stop hitting each other or I want them to put on their damn shoes, or I want them to like stop kicking the soccer ball in the house or whatever it is. So in the moment, but the second point of discipline is like, I'm trying to teach them to fish so that eventually later in their life, they, when presented with a situation will have sort of the judgment and the internal resources to make the best decision. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think a lot of us get stuck in Number one, which is like, you're being obnoxious, stop it. Or this is unsafe, stop it. Or you're, you're taking the hell out of me, stop it. And I think sometimes we forget about like the long term, what we're teaching our kids over time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I so appreciate what you said, like that whole idea that we have to be in a place where we can even see that or reflect on it in the judgment part. Like, cause I just had this conversation with Kristen Neff. It was in the last podcast, who's the teacher of self-compassion. And she talks about that in the book, how when we are constantly judging ourselves and we are so hard on ourselves that it actually makes us averse to growing and changing and looking at our places where we can places of growth, right? It makes us averse to looking at those places of growth growth because then we are like punishing ourselves when we're doing something bad. It's like, it's kind of like this perverse, like internal reward and punishment, right? And so we're like averse to, to, to looking at those places of growth because of the judgment that we have inside. So being at a place where you can be more accepting of yourself is absolutely and and more grounded like that's absolutely absolutely the first level and and then it you, you know and then when you look at like 
You know, actually, Carla, I was like in the exact same place as you because I was miserable. I was yelling. (laughs) I like my daughter had so much resistance to everything I said. And like that was the thing that was so hard about for me, like going into things and into sort of that traditional authoritarian way. And in some ways I wasn't like, I wasn't like, I'm going to, you know, I wasn't using any like corporal punishment or anything like that, but I was, I, I wanted to, I was kind of giving her orders and wanting her to kind of obey. And, and then she resisted because I was giving her orders because that sucks to be given orders. Right. People don't like that. People don't like that. And, um, and I couldn't figure out like, why was she so resistant? And that, um, it was, it was that like, it was just, I could see like the, um, you know, I remember reading um, Dr. Laura Markham, who's also going to be on the podcast later in a little bit, um, about her work and her talking about connection and things like that. And I was like, connection? Oh, my gosh. Like, maybe, like, my child's so resistant to everything I say. And it was really, really frustrating. So I had to sort of, like, dive into the wormhole of learning, of trying to understand, yeah. like, what the heck is going on here? Why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? was kind of the question I was asking myself. Yeah. Yeah. Why think, is it so hard? And what are we supposed to do otherwise? Yes, exactly. Like we think we, we have this perception, which I think is so like this myth that is so damaging that parenting is going to be easy. Like, like it's going to be instinctual, <laughs> you know, it's going to be, um, it's going to, we're going to have this parenting instinct and maybe that's true for the beginning, but not for the end. So, um, Oh, I never had it. Not for one minute. Nope. But look, here's the other thing, too, is that I think that um, for a long time, we were parenting and disciplining our children in a village. And I mean, like a literal village where houses were closer to each other and windows were like open because there was no air conditioning. And so you could hear everybody could hear when your neighbor was yelling at the kids. Mm -hmm. And there is something really powerful about a kid being able to say, that's just what everybody did. Now, I'm not saying that if everybody in your neighborhood is spanking your kids and you know it and everybody knows it, that like you should all spank your kids. No, I'm not saying that because I really think you should never hit a child under any circumstances. And if you are like, it's okay. Like we all lose it and you can stop like there there's support and things you can do. I just want to say that. But like hitting a child is not on the table for me. Um, uh, But having said that, there was something about like if everybody's yelling at your kids, then, it you know, at least a kid can grow up with the story like, hey, everybody else. Um, and I think everybody is yelling at their kids these days. But the problem is it's all happening inside our own home. So what's happening for our parent, our generation of parents is that we're closing our windows, turning on the air conditioning, which nobody <laughs> thinks about and is actually a really interesting <laughs> sociological thing that I love thinking about. But it's all happening behind closed doors. And so then what happens is we parents feel deeply disconnected and ashamed And we get stuck in a place of like, oh, God, I'm the only one. Everybody else is calm. Look, nobody puts a picture on Facebook of themselves yelling at their kids. So like the image is everybody else is doing this. And I'm the only parent who can't parent calmly. And I just want you parents to know parenting is hard and disciplining your children is hard. And we're all struggling with it. And it's okay if if you're not doing it the way you want to be doing it. Amen. Yeah. Ditto. We're all. Yeah. So. (laughs) That's where I am with that piece. 
Yes, yes, yes. Cool. So you have, so I think kind of what we're saying here is like, you have to have that, that sort of that grounding in yourself. You have to have that sort of clarity and that self-acceptance. You have to have that bandwidth in yourself to even get to the point where you are um, able to like think sort of clearly about, well, what, and then hopefully you get to that point. Maybe you can kind of think about it here if you, uh, uh oh, Carla's having some. Yeah, you. You're breaking up, Hunter. Oh no, I'm breaking up for Carla. We'll stop video and we'll we'll see I if that, I turned off the video. Yeah. That works a little bit better. Okay, so just mark twenty minutes in. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It is really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Okay. What the heck was I saying? You were saying 
that we have to get the common clarity for ourselves. Oh, yeah. So we have to get that common clarity for himself, but ourselves, but hopefully we, maybe like right now here on this, while you're listening to this podcast might be a relaxed moment. Maybe you're, you're driving. You can kind of think about that and think about the, what I think it really helps to take a step back and take it, get an idea of like, what do I really want to achieve as a parent? And one of the things that was really eye-opening for me um, and, and was this idea of, well, what kind of relationship do I want with my kids like when they're teenagers? Very specifically, when they're adolescents was a real is a real driving force behind me and the the parenting and my husband and the parenting we want to do with our kids because I realized like that, you know, so I was raised in in a kind of a funky authoritarian household. And my dad got so frustrated with me to a certain point that he started saying like, I am the father and you are the child and you do what I say kind of thing. Like it was so cliche authoritarian. I was like, are you kidding me? But it would push me away so much as a child that like, it made me so resentful of him that I did everything I could not to cooperate with him because then, because the thing that is, um, is really that we don't think about sometimes when our kids are younger. But the the truth is that reward and punishment and power only work as long as we, when we have power over our children, when we have the ability to take things away, when we, um, we you know, a, a timeout or something like that, or take right. a reward away. And, but then when they're teenagers, when they're adolescents, your power runs out. Like you, they are then pretty independent and, you know, to use power in the sort of the extreme circumstances of if you don't do what I say, you have to sort of leave my house or you're going to, you know, be grounded and all these things like it really makes it so you have really the more power you use, the less influence you have. It's completely inverse relationship. And you when we use what I didn't know when I was younger and as a younger parent and what I realized I had an epiphany about it was that is that the inverse relationship of power and influence and how if we want to help our kids grow when they're teenagers, if we want to support them when they may need us a lot, like st- there's some big, heavy, hard stuff that comes up when they're teenagers. We need to be able to have that relationship and have that influence, not have them hating us and resenting us. And, you know, I really believe that we can have a relationship with our kids where they're not necessarily rebelling against us. I know of many, many kids who never had to do that because their parents didn't use these methods that you know, of, po- of power that pushed them away. So that was like the big aha for me. And I think for me, what I think about is, you know, I'm a social worker. I picked this career because I believe that change and growth and healing happens through connection, through human relationships. I think we're inherently social species and that's how things happen. And if I want my child to behave differently, to develop, I also think a lot in terms of brain science, that if I want my kids to develop literally the neuronal networks that will lead to the kind of thinking and decision-making and impulse control and empathy and uh, behaviors that I want to see out of them, I think that happens through connection. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the way I talk to some adults about this is like, if you're having a problem at work, and your boss comes over and he's a real jerk about it and just kind of slams down on you for it. Like maybe you'll 
find some other way to give him what he wants. But ultimately that act of sort of setting limits on you in a really jerkish way, it's not going to help you. It's just going to make you scared of him and make you like either freak out and scramble and find some other way to get what he wants or look for another job or something. But nobody's like, oh, thank you for yelling at me. All of a sudden I see what I did wrong and I know how to fix it. No, you're like, what a dick. And you go somewhere else. Can I say that? Sorry. I think I have to put the explicit warning on this episode now. Okay. Anyways, so let's talk about with kids though. How does this play out? Because often when I start to say this, people assume that I'm a super permissive parent that like, no matter Mm -hmm. what my kids want, I give it to them because I want to have a good relationship with them. Well, like it doesn't work that way. And I still set a lot of boundaries with my kids. Like they know, they know when we can watch screen time and when we don't have it, they know when they can have ice cream and when they, you know, when they can't, for example. And I mean, they still nag me about it when they know they can't have it because they're kids and that's what kids do. And that actually goes back to their brain science, which whatever, that's how their brain works because they don't have a fully formed brain yet. And, but I, I'll say, like, I still say, no, you can't have that. Or yes, but you can have that at another time. I still maintain those limits. And sometimes I will even maintain those limits as I've got my kid on my lap and I'm saying no in a funny voice. And I do this ridiculous, vaguely like <laughs> European accent that sometimes slips into oddly Australian or something. Like I do funny voices, even as I'm saying Oh, come on, no. do the voice. Do the no, voice. I, I think that some... Like poor German woman listening to this would be like, that's deeply offensive and I don't want to offend anybody, but like, I will be really, really silly with them. I'll start singing it like so that we're still connected, even as I'm not giving them what they want. Mm, Um, I love that. And so I don't, I don't, you know, every once in a while it all falls apart, right? Like, especially if I'm really tired or stressed out or anxious. Yeah, I absolutely snap and yell at them. Or I'll be like, fine, whatever. We're in CVS. Just go to the toy aisle and pick out something if it's less than $5 if you just leave me the hell alone because I don't have the internal resources. And that's fine too. Like, you know, we don't have to get this stuff right all the time. We don't even have to get it right most of the time, but we got to keep trying. And so like my goal, if I could parent the way I do in my best moments all the time is to stay connected with my child, even as I set boundaries. And the reason that's important is because when you can connect with your kid, when you can say, Hey, I think you're pretty angry about this. That calms them down. Just having your feelings named and somebody else say, I understand what's going on with you helps you calm down. And we've all had this experience. Like if you're an adult and you go hang out with a friend who's awesome and they're like, Oh my gosh, I've been there too. And kids can be so awful and blah, blah, blah. Like you feel better, right? Mm -hmm. When somebody acknowledges you. And then from that place, of acknowledgement of connecting with them, then I try to like redirect or distract or whatever it is. Um, yeah. And because I want them to fundamentally learn that when they're having a hard moment later in life, I don't want them to beat themselves up. Right. I don't want mm-hmm. them to yell at themselves because then what happens is they feel like crap, they feel stuck and they resort to something not useful, like making a bad choice or overeating or drinking or whatever it is. I'm a social worker. So my mind goes to the worst possible outcome, but whatever. (laughs) So, and if I'm modeling that for that, if I'm doing that to them now, that's what they're going to do later because that's what they're learning. So what I'm modeling for them now is a imperfect, like there'll be times when we all get it wrong and they need to know that too. And that's fine. They'll learn how to deal with that. And B, that first you connect, like you get in touch with your feeling or what's going on with yourself. And then you sort of redirect, you figure out, do you need a snack? Do you need a snuggle? Do you need 
arrest? Do you need to zone out in front of the TV because you literally can't even deal with life sometimes? Like these are all options once you've connected with the kid. I love that. And you're pointing out that it's like they're looking at the problems in terms of needs. And then also you're you're pointing out that acknowledgement part, which is so huge and that so many of us forget. It's just like, say what you're seeing, like say what you're seeing is happening. And when you do that, it's like, oh, it's like just a relief. It's like it it creates a relief right away for everybody and also creates a space to pause. But you know, our culture doesn't support that. It's like, like, oh, we have to fix every problem. We can't sort of slow down. And, um, and I, and that acknowledgement piece is so good. And then looking at the, the needs is really so good because really, you know, we go into this relationship with kids and we think like, I don't know, I think in our culture, like we treat kids as if they're like, not, they're like a different, like species of human or something. I mean, maybe not. That's extreme. But like, we like they're just they're human beings, just as we are. And everything they're trying to do is to try to meet their needs. They're not, you know, they're not trying to, you know, unless they've sort of seen it modeled and and they've had a lot of their things suppressed. Like they're not necessarily trying to like you know, get back at you or, or manipulate you if they feel like I'm being ordered around and I'm being threatened, then yeah, then they might want to retaliate or get back at you and things like that. So the point, it's really, it was really interesting to learn that the punishments actually are ineffective, like regardless of whatever, even regardless of your relationship, like they're actually kind of ineffective over the long run because they did, your child doesn't feel like doesn't internally want to cooperate you. They either resist or they submit or, you know, it's kind of like, uh, and, and really do you want either of those, right? You do you want your child to be submitting to an authority their whole life or resisting an authority <laughs> their whole life. You don't want either right. of that. You want them to have a cooperative relationship where they're, saying, oh, you know, looking at other people and saying, you have needs. And then they're also saying, well, I have needs too. And let's talk about it. Right. Yeah. So I agree with all that. Um, and I think we should hit on two important topics that I, I they come up all the time when I'm working with parents. Okay. One is, what's the deal with timeouts? Yes. And the second topic is, if I pay attention to my kid when he or she is having a tantrum, aren't I just giving them what I want and like reinforcing that they should throw tantrums? Mm, so good question. I have, I have opinions about both of these, which I'm happy to share, or you can jump right in. I'm happy with either one. Well, yeah, I, I also have some things, but I'm Why don't to... you start with the okay. timeout? Why don't you talk okay, about I'll start out? with, yeah. Well, timeout is really interesting because we think, oh, like, you know, we don't want to spank. We don't want to do these things. And maybe if we put our, put our child in a timeout, like we have this, <laughs> this one, this wonderful misguided idea that we're, our child is going to think about what they did wrong and like come out the other side and want to cooperate with us. But, but really a, a a timeout is a punishment and it's not really different from like, you know, making your child stand in the corner and it really makes them feel worse about your relationship and it makes them less likely to cooperate with you when you're talking to them in a reasonable way and using skillful communication. And it's interesting. So in this article, um, by on Dr. Laura Markham's website, they, 
they pointed out that there was a study done by the National Institute of Mental Health that concluded that timeouts are ineffective in getting toddlers to cooperate. Or, I'm sorry, are effective in getting toddlers to cooperate, but only temporarily. And then because they have this fear, and so they, they may temporarily cooperate, but then the children misbehaved more than children who weren't disciplined with timeouts in the long run, because what is happening, the toddlers are really seeing this as a love withdrawal, and then their behavior, you know, then they misbehave more. You know, if you if we use studies that show if we use love withdrawal as a punishment technique, kids subjected to it tend to exhibit more misbehavior. They have worse men- mental health, emotional health, and less developed morality. Because the idea is. I know it's like sort of kind of shocking and scary. I don't want you guys to feel scared. If you've used time out, it's, you know, your child's probably going to be fine. (laughs) Don't worry. But when we would withdraw our love and we say, you have to separate from me um, in a timeout, it really makes them ultimately it disconnects from our relationship, makes, makes them less likely to want to cooperate with you. Plus on a practical side, I always think about this with timeouts on a practical side, like, it sucks. Like who wants to be the enforcer? <laughs> like if you think about practically enforcing a timeout, like I remember I did that once when my, my oldest was like 18 months and it's like, it's like trying to like pin, you know, like a jellyfish to the wall. <laughs> like, you're just like, Go back, go back, go back. Stay, you know? there. Like, stay there. And who wants to be the enforcer? That sucks. I don't want to be the enforcer. I don't know. What do you think about timeouts? Okay. First of all, I always like to put timeouts in perspective. In the grand scheme of um, obnoxious, I don't want to say obnoxious. What's the, the word that I want to say? I can't say, but whatever. Like punitive? not. I was going to say the S word. <laughs> <laughs> yes, punitive uh, disciplinary techniques. Like I would put it somewhere in the middle. Like it's it's way, way better than hitting your kid, right? Yeah. And so if you are on the verge of hitting your kid, which I totally get, like it, it, they mm-hmm. are frustrating and it's mm-hmm. hard to take, keep control of yourself. Yes. Put somebody in a timeout, like put yourself in a timeout, put the kid in a timeout, like better that you get some space than hit your kid. Right. So, um, and having said that, like there are millions and millions of really healthy people walking around the world right now who were raised by parents who yelled at them and put them in timeout. Right. Mm -hmm. So in the grand scheme of things, you are unlikely to traumatize your child, um, with timeouts, but we're, we're in the nitty gritty here. And Hunter and I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. So you're getting like, what you're getting from us is best possible scenario response mm-hmm. to a child, which I all know that we live in the real world and we can't always do our very, very best, but it's worth keep coming back, keeping, it's worth to keep trying on it. I can't, that didn't yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's worth it's it worth to it have to aspirations, trying. to have right. aspirations okay. of where we can be. Yeah, so absolutely. I, um, I agree with you in an ideal world, like better for the parent to take a timeout than for the kid. But yeah, nobody learns anything in timeout. A kid's just going to sit in their room and cry until they're too tired to cry anymore. Or they're going to play with their toys or they're going to like plot our demise. They're not going to be like, oh, <laughs> mom had a really good point there. You know, um, they're just not. I don't do that. If my husband to put me in a timeout, I'd like get a little voodoo doll and start sticking pins in it. I don't know. So, um, so, but, so yes, I think that another option instead of timeout is what my husband and I do is we do time ends, which is 
and, and he he thinks it's like a fun threat. He'll be like, if you don't calm down, you have to come snuggle me. And sometimes the girls will be like, okay, because they actually secretly want to snuggle. And sometimes like that's enough to make him stop because they don't want to be snuggled. <laughs> um, so I think that's that's kind of cute. So timeouts, I think, are not ideal, but also not the end of the world. Um, if you really have, if you're le- if you're like at the end of your rope. And really, honestly, what I do is when I'm at the absolute end of my rope, like if I'm sick or exhausted or just can't deal, I put them in front of the TV and let that be a timeout. Because honestly, in those 20 minutes that it takes them to watch a show, that is better than me screaming at them for 20 minutes. And sometimes that's the choice I have. And then I can go sit and drink a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or take some deep breaths or whatever and get myself under control. So like if you are just at wit's end, and that's the best timeout you can do, dude, do it like better than everybody can calm down. The tension can kind of dissipate. Like don't put them in front of some violent show, put them in front of like, I don't know, Paw Patrol or whatever. And like everybody calm down and then you can restart. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Let's talk about, uh, tantrums because I had had this conversation so many times with friends. They're like, but if I, if I pay attention to my child, if I snuggle them or talk to them when I'm having a tantrum, aren't I just reinforcing it? And this is like, this is like the behaviorist kind of point of view, right? Like influenced by like, if we, we want to reinforce behaviors that we are, that are good, you know, like, absolutely. I always say thank you when they help me and all that stuff. But we want to make behaviors that we don't like unpleasant for them. So they don't do it again. And this goes back to like studies with um, dogs and stuff too, right? And and, and mice and rats. Yeah, yeah. Look, and, and again, if your only goal is to extinguish a behavior, go ahead and ignore the timeouts. But if your goal is to give your child the internal resources to be able to extinguish their own tantrum in the future, then you need to do something different. So first, I always like to talk about the difference in my mind between a tantrum and a meltdown. Hmm. So in my mind, a tantrum is a kid purposely and willfully choosing to be obnoxious because they're not getting what they want. And when I say what they want, I mean like a toy or a TV show or something. And in now, if you are pretty clear that your kid is basically doing this on purpose, like choosing to just, you know, yell and scream or cry or whatever, then you say, you know what, you need to stop and you're not getting what you want. And I'm happy to do something else with you, but not until you stop. And, you know, that's in my mind, sort of a guessing game, but sometimes it's pretty clear. And when you do that a few times, the kid is going to stop. Like when they learn that they are legitimately not going to get that toy, they will stop doing it. That, in my mind, is very different from a meltdown. And most of what we're talking about here are meltdowns. And most of these behaviors um, that we are trying to figure out how to manage are meltdowns. And that is when a kid's resources are depleted, when they are overtaxed, overwhelmed, when they are hungry, they are tired, they're scared, they're stressed, or they feel disconnected from you. Um, And they literally have nothing to offer except laying on the floor and crying. And in those moments, ignoring your child, um, eventually they might get sort of scared enough or weird enough that they'll stop melting down in front of you, but you're not teaching them how to manage that internal experience later in life. Um, And so what I try to do, A, is avoid the meltdown if I can. Like I know that when my kids are tired or when they're hungry, like all like there's no hope for us, right? Mm -hmm. When that happens. So I'm the mom who walks around with the snacks and in her bag and, you know, walks around with like, like when, when the kids are too tired, we have very few plans for the day. And I just prepare myself that it's going to be a mess. Um, and as the children get older, you know, they can tolerate more. Like 
They can tolerate being hungry for longer, but that takes time to develop. And even now my husband knows that when I get hangry, like you need to put food in my body or I will be epically rude to you. Like I, I, it's just the way it is. I can't deal when I'm hungry. And so just avoid that meltdown. But then again, when they're having the meltdown, um, in my mind, like make sure they're safe, sit with them until they're calm enough to hear you. If you're able then to, mm-hmm. if you're able to, if yeah. you're too triggered by it, you need to go take a break too. Yeah. Um, and then don't talk at them too much. They can't hear you. But when you are both calm, you can acknowledge what they were feeling and then give them what they need, which is, you know, probably if you can figure it out, food, quiet time, connection, uh, you know, rest, whatever it is. But don't if they sometimes the meltdown gets hung up on something the kid thinks they want. I wanted to ride, you know, on that side of the car. I wanted this backpack. I wanted you to read me that book and not the other one. I want that toy my sister has. And often that's not really what the meltdown is about, right? That's the thing that it sort of got that triggered it. So don't give them that thing. You have to continue to hold the boundary. I'm sorry. I know you really wanted that toy, but today is your sister's day to play with it. Or I'm sorry. I know you really wanted that show, but it's time to turn off the TV. And when you can acknowledge their feelings, remind them they will probably get another chance tomorrow or the next day to play with that toy or watch that show. Um, and sit with them to calm them down. What you are teaching them in that moment, as you sit with them to calm them down is you're teaching them how to calm themselves down. Like, Mm -hmm. just like if you talk to a kid enough times in French, eventually they'll start speaking French. Like you are, you are sort of speaking to them in this language of connection and empathy. And eventually they'll be able to produce that for themselves and calm themselves down. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. 
It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. And um, and sometimes that is so incredibly hard. You know, as you're speaking about this, it's like interesting because, you know, part of my, my the stubborn part of my brain always like wants to label <clears throat> meltdown as a tantrum, <clears throat> you know, because I oh, want yeah, the kids being I, a jerk. I want to blame them. Actually, yes. like this kind of goes to, you know, a, a parenting moment we had recently where my 10-year-old daughter, she, like, entered this uh, writing contest uh, for the, from the Library of Congress, and she was a finalist, like, out of what? all. It was very cool. So we went down to Washington, D.C. to the National Library of Congress National Book Fair. And this, so I have a, you know, I'm, I've recently discovered, this will be another podcast, that I'm a highly sensitive person, and she is a highly sensitive child. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> oh, my God. And, um, she, we go to this book fair and, and I was like, not in a good place per, you know, um, sort of, I hadn't had a good day the day before and I wasn't like in a great place because of other things that happened. And we go to this book fair and it's like thousands of people, you know, and like just chock full, like overwhelming. We're in a, uh, a basement in the DC, um, you know, convention center, that's the size of an airport hangar, just filled with, filled with people. And there's, and so, and then we didn't, we didn't pack enough snacks. It was totally, it was totally like we, we ran out of energy, you know, we completely ran out of energy. And so my husband was being really great. It's like, oh my God, I'm going to die. I need to eat. And, (laughs) and so he looked up around there, you know, what are some good places to eat? And he thought, found this one place. He thought it'd be great because it had like hummus, but it also had burgers and stuff like that. And so we go, we get there, we go to the place and it turns out the burgers are like vegan burgers and the whole place is vegan. And the girls are like, oh my God, this is like horrible. But like they eat hummus and pita every single, like twice a week. It's crazy. And they just and we were so hungry, like we just had to eat. Like this was actually a very good place. There was stuff they liked. We thought, okay, but they got this sort of stubborn thing in them, and we thought, okay, I will just order some food for you. And literally, my ten-year-old had like a, a was crying on the floor in the restaurant, like oh, you know. Parenting is fun. Oh my god! And I was like just so frustrated. And it was one of those mm-hmm. moments where it was like. You know, I think it was kind of a win and a fail. Like there was some fail moments because I got triggered by her. Like, this is food you like, <laughs> you know, like right. just eat the food and stop being hangry. <laughs> right. And so just feeling so frustrated about this, like we're, we're providing food for our child. This is what you need. You need to just eat this food. And then it was also kind of um, a win in some ways in that we, you know, I, I held try mostly mostly you know didn't you know i said i'm feeling very embarrassed i you know i'm you know you have to come back to this sit on the table not on the floor and didn't freak out on my kid too badly so i felt like that was that was pretty good but also we said you know we had a boundary there where i'm not punishing my child but we had a boundary was that we bought you food this is food that you eat, hummus and pita bread. This is food that you eat all of the time. And we are not buying you other food. So you can eat this food or you cannot eat this food. And she chose to not eat the food, go back to the convention center, down into the basement and buy herself a $10 
crappy pizza. And that was right. her choice. And we just, you know, took care of everybody's needs. I took some time to sit on a stairs while my husband went with her and bought her. He, she bought with her own money the crappy pizza. And we all kind of eventually worked it out. But it was clearly a meltdown versus a tantrum. And I could really see, like, my brain, that part. Of, I, it's probably like the ego, right? It's like trying to, you know, keep me safe and, and you know, whatever and blame other people was like wanted to call it a tantrum. You know, I could really see that my brain really wanted right. to do that. Yeah. And I think but I think in that case, like you handled it as well as you could. I mean, you were taxed out. She was taxed out. And when. You know, I get to that place with food, too. Like when I'm too tired and hungry and my husband will try to find a place for the family, I'm the one who's like, I don't want to eat this. And I totally, yeah, now I'm not talking about 10 years ago, I'm talking <laughs> about like last week. And, you know, and it takes me a while to like calm myself down. And so I think when our kids are already too sort of maxed out emotionally, you try to put one more thing on their plate, which is like not. You know, in that case, it was that you weren't able to identify the one exact thing that she wanted to eat. Because, <laughs> sorry, I guess you left your crystal ball at home. Like she fell over the edge. And then it's like in those situations, we just muddle through and do the best we can. There's no handbook. Yeah, it's but, like you know, triage. What am I, you <laughs> sorry. Know, what am I? Yeah, it totally is. And I mean, just to give parents a reminder that this connection thing, it's hard to do, especially when we're tired. You know, I get in the mid-afternoon slump every day, which happens to coincide exactly when I need to pick my kids up from school and drive them the 20 minutes home. And so, you know, we're just getting into the back-to-school rhythm, and they are exhausted at the end of the day. They are done. Like, they can't function. And so I've gotten it together enough to have a snack in the car for them, which really helps the car ride home. But it just occurred to me, like, as we're having this conversation, under that I should play a podcast or music for them, because every single ride home since school started <laughs> like oh, no. they've gotten into a fight and I've screamed at them in the car oh. like not nice like it's a total parenting fail on my part um like I'm tired I'm hungry because I haven't had a snack but I brought the snack for them and I'm like I just gave you a snack that should be enough and it's <laughs> not enough because they're so tired mm, um and mm-hmm. so you know I think the plan for this afternoon is there's this wow in the world podcast. my kids love it's that like, one too oh they my love God, that from it's from NPR. It's for kids. It's hilarious. It's got good information. It's called wow in the world. And I'm going to have one queued up because I'm not in a place where I can have a conversation with them. They're not in a place where they can have a conversation with each other. They just end up fighting. And so in that case, like, you know, we need a distraction. So we're doing the podcast and the snacks to make it home this afternoon. But the point is, you know, you don't have to feel ashamed or alone or terrible if you're losing it with your kids because p.s we're all losing it with our kids but can you get curious about what happened so that maybe next time you can do better like once i got curious about why my kids were being so obnoxious in the car i was like oh right they're so exhausted their little brains can't do any better so i need to distract their little brains and put on something so they will sit quietly and not kill each other yeah and i love what you're saying carla i Folks, our our wins and fails are just wrapped up in the conversation this time, I think, because, but I love what you're saying because it really goes back full circle to that idea of being kind to ourselves, being curious that those ideas of mindfulness, being present with what is, with kindness and curiosity, and that idea of self compassion. Because if we are not able to, you know, if, if we're so hard on ourselves, then we can't 
we can't even ta- have the bandwidth to to look and be curious about, oh, that wasn't so great. I didn't do awesome there, but what could I do better? You know, and, and we can do that without being shaming and blaming ourselves, right? And then we're less likely to shame and blame our kids too, I think. Totally, totally. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, what the one book I want to give a shout out to that oh I God. really like, if some if um if listeners are looking for a book that sort of speaks to a little bit of brain science, a little bit of child development and how to kind of interact with your kids in disciplinary moments. I really like no drama discipline by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. I think it's, it's uh, readable and it's got interesting sort of brain science stuff and also acknowledges that this is that we are imperfect parents and that it's hard to do this right. Um, But also gives you some pretty clear tips on how to move forward. So I, I quite like it. No Drama Discipline by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. Awesome. Thanks. I'll put that in the show notes. And yeah, and if this is something that you want to be working with more, you know, with the listener, this is what we work on in the Mindful Parenting course. We work on the whole first part is working on ourselves, like helping us get that mindfulness, that self-compassion, that mindfulness so that we can have the bandwidth to be able to have some space to be able to pause and, 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 respond rather than react. And then the second part is all about skillful communication. So what to say then, you know, so maybe what to, what to do instead of the, you know, the, the threats and the, that's my, that's my total default is like the threats. It's so it's so funny. It's like, that's what was done to me, I guess. So, um, but yeah, it's, these are the essential communication skills of what, inst- what do I do instead? How do we solve problems instead? So cool. So I feel like, we could talk for five hours about discipline. So this is just sort of the tip of the, the, the bucket. Um, we could, you know, maybe, maybe we'll revisit this in the future. If you have thoughts about what we could, um, you have questions that you want to send myself or Carla, you can email me at hunter at hunterclarkfields.com. And you can, on if you have a question specifically for Carla, you can email me and I'll send it to Carla um, <laughs> or reach yeah, out to her, the, Carla at carlanomberg.com, right? Yeah. Yeah. Carlanomberg.com. Yes. And yeah, yeah, my, my email address is on there. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm, I'm around. Yes. Yes. Do you have any final thoughts as we kind of think about this idea of, of discipline and kind of maybe sort of shifting our perception of, of discipline? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really hard. It's okay if it's hard. Everybody else is struggling with it too. And you need to get some sleep tonight because if you are an overexhausted parent, you don't have a chance in hell against your kids. Yes. Oh, I mean, with your kids, not against them, with them. Yeah, 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 that's a good point. It's like, but it does feel that way sometimes, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, and 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 this is what we want to try to do is kind of shift actually out of that us versus them, and into like you know, I'm here to support you. You know, we're in a relationship. How can we meet each other's needs? And, um, right. and it's, it's so easy to default to that us against them. It yes. really can feel that way sometimes. And that's okay. Like, that's okay. And then you notice that and you talk to Hunter and then you feel better. 
Oh, yeah. And really, we want to see our challenges, see these times where we don't do so great. Like, we really want to see those as teachers. You know, in the last um, two podcasts back, I talked about the the, um, Mindful Mama Manifesto. And I really, really do believe in, you know, everything that I said in that about our challenges are, are our teachers and that we, as we start to grow and as we start to learn, you know, we, we be, can evolve, we can become calmer, we can become more present, we can practice self-compassion. And, you know, as we start to really value wisdom over reactivity, as we start to value our connection over ob- obedience, and really also that same idea of like, we can begin anew every day, like we can start fresh. And we have that power. We can we just set that intention and it, it changes everything. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. All right. Well, so thank you so, so much for listening. I really, really appreciate you guys listening. And I've been really appreciating the um, the comments and the reviews and the ratings. Remember, it's really easy to do a rating and review. You can do it right on your phone. Just click on the podcast app um, on your phone. And even if you're subscribed, which I hope you are subscribed, search for the Mindful Mama podcast and then go. There's a part where you can do ratings and reviews and it's right there on the phone. You can just leave a rating and review and it helps enormously just get it out to more people. And then the best way to get it out to more people is just to really get, you know, tell a friend, pass this on to another mom who you think could benefit. That's an awesome, awesome way to do that. Um, Thank you so much for Carla, uh, for you coming on. I I appreciate you being here as always, my friend. Thank you. I had a, a wonderful time. All right. Have a great week, guys. Namaste. Are you frustrated with parenting? Do you want to practice conscious, compassionate parenting, but you don't know how? It's not easy, and there's no roadmap for this. Until now. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, and I know how frustrating it is because I've been there. I really struggled as a young mom, and when I found myself yelling and triggered by my child a lot, I knew there had to be a better way. And there is. Mindful parenting is different from other parenting trainings. They don't tell you that all of that good advice is as good as useless when our internal stress response is triggered. Mindful Parenting teaches you research-based tools and practices to reduce your stress response so you can respond rather than react. And it teaches you exactly what to say so that you can create willing cooperation from your child. You can learn more and enroll at mindfulparentingcourse.com and you can join us for a free live training from October 9th through 13th where you'll learn why your kids don't listen to you, what punishment really teaches, how to tame a tantrum at every age, and the hidden myth that undermines your parenting. Sign up now at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. I'll see you there. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) 
Well, you're aiming more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood, wherever you listen to podcasts.